This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, we are discussing physical activity, brain, cognition, especially in earlier parts of human lifespan. And we have an amazing guest for this episode. Our guest is working as a professor in Northeastern University in Boston. He holds appointments in the Department of Psychology and the Department of Physical Therapy, Movement and Rehabilitation Sciences. He co-directs the Center for Cognitive and Brain Health. He has published over 300 refereed journal articles and 15 book chapters. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Professor Charles Hillman. Welcome, Charles. Thanks, Holly. Appreciate the time today. Yeah, nice to have you. So maybe we start with a general overview. How does physical activity affect the brain and cognition during human lifespan? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question. Um, and honestly, we don't entirely know. Uh, you know, what we do know, and there's uh, a rich literature in humans and in non-human animals, rodent models mostly, um, what we do know is that physical activity has an influence on uh, or it affects uh, brain structure, uh, brain function, and then at the behavioral level, cognition um, or, or academic performance. Uh, but if we were to step back and think about it from a structural perspective, uh, there, there's really excellent work out there showing that uh, both structure, uh, which comprises of either uh, you know, at a lower level, I would say regions, you know, so it's probably the, the least specific. So like certain brain regions are affected. But, you know, what we now know more of is that uh, both gray and white matter are affected. We know more about white matter than gray matter, I would say. So gray matter is our neurons. White matter is the uh, fatty sheaths on our axons that insulate the signal during from neuron to neuron during transmission. And we, in both cases, uh, we tend to find that the effects of physical activity on brain structure are selective. And that's a, a theme you'll hear me say a lot today about selectivity. And what I mean by that is that the, you know, only specific pathways are affected, uh, specific brain regions. Typically, the greatest differences appear to be in regions that support prefrontal cortex function or hippocampal function. From a brain function perspective, you know, we started years ago again with, you know, just kind of looking at, at uh, spectral and temporal components of EEG. So that is, we're looking at how the, the electrical activity of the brain, the neuroelectric system, how that changes as a function of being physically active. Um, you know, we see that uh, in terms of the spectral content, that is the various waveforms within the brain, um, various frequencies. And then we see it in response to specific stimuli. That is, if you challenge people with a cognitive task, we see that the neuroelectric system responds to, to being more physically active. Uh, again, we tend to find that the effects, while somewhat generalized, are, are selectively stronger for tasks that engage prefrontal function. Um, in the years since CEG, you know, that was probably going back to the, well, that went back to probably 1984. Uh, in the years since then, uh, and really in the, you know, in the new millennium, uh, most of the work has been in MRI and fMRI. There we, we did work in, uh, you know, and others have done work showing that that functional 
um, functional imaging is useful in understanding these changes in brain brain function. That is, when pe- people are performing a task, uh, we see that regions of the prefrontal cortex or the hippocampus uh, engender you know more function or or, or mm-hmm. you know or, or less function depending on the task, I should say. So difference in function. Uh, more recently, we've actually gone to non non task related paradigms. So that's where. You know, we're just looking at the brain in a resting state and we can make inferences about what's going on in the brain as a function of being more fit or more active. And, and what we find there is that, you know, again, prefrontal function, uh, the default mode network, which is involved in, in aspects of memory and our attentional networks are all influenced, uh, not just in terms of specific regions, but at the network level. And so, again, you know, we're starting to understand whole brain responses uh, to a more active lifestyle. And then, you know, lastly, from a cognitive perspective, um, you know, there's some really great work out there showing that that we see general benefits of physical activity on cognition, but that we also see that the, the benefits are disproportionately larger, that it's selectively larger for tasks or task components that require uh, greater amounts of executive functioning. Now, we've also been able to show that that it's true for hippocampal functioning as well. That is, some types of memory uh, are dependent upon the hippocampus and other types of memory are not. They're independent. And in the case, and what we find is that the effects seem to be larger when the hippocampus is involved. And then the, the very last thing I'll say is that in the case of children, we've been able to um, bring that out to all the way to the point of academic performance. That is, we've been able to show that changes in physical activity or interventions of physical activity do have an influence on their ability to perform in the classroom. Very interesting. And you said that the selectivity will be a theme. So if we think the stimuli of physical activity, a lot of things happen. Brain is controlling the muscles, muscles contract, heart rate increases, metabolism changes. Why do you think this kind of stimulus affects the certain parts of brain and not not the other, and what could be the reason that maybe the evolutionary perspective there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think from an evolutionary perspective, you know, the brain and the body uh, evolve together, right? And, and movement, uh, if you listen to the anthropologists, the anthropologists will suggest that uh, the brain developed in concert with movement and they became dependent upon one another in the sense that, you know, when we were out foraging for, you know, food or, or hunting for food, we had to develop more sophisticated brains to understand, you know, where our food was, where the predators were, so we didn't become food ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and we had to develop tools because, you know, we're not, as a, as a species, we're not terribly strong in the sense that we're not fast like, you know, uh, cheetahs or, you know, we, we're not um, strong like uh, lions, but we do have mm-hmm. a remarkable ability to move over long periods of time. That is, if you look at other species, they tend to move, and you know, sticking with the theme of these large cats, they don't tend to move very much, maybe a mile a day, you know, uh, you know, but humans have the capacity as, as we know, to, to run or, or walk, you know, marathons, you know, many, many miles a day. And so we're, mm-hmm. you know, we've, through the course of evolution, we've been, you know, we, we've adapted to being, you know, uh, uh, distance animals, like distance exercisers. And the brain's developed alongside with of that, you know, in terms of we've had to make tools, we've had to track our prey, you know, all the things we do, you know, we like to call executive function or, or memory. These were all survival, you know, the brain developed to survive in these conditions, right? Where we would, you know, we had long stretches between food. When we got food, we, we binged on that food, right? Unfortunately, today, 
from a metabolic perspective, uh, we're probably in a state of metabolic dysregulation, right? In the sense that mm-hmm. uh, we don't move like we once had to. Food is uh, abundantly easy to come by in most cases, right? I mean, certainly we have, you know, there are people who are, you know, uh, you know, food insecure, but but the average human has an abundance of food, and that food is pretty cheap calorically in the sense that you know we can consume a lot of calories. You know, I mean, the classic example is you know you sit on your couch all day watching sports and and you know you you pick up your phone and a pizza arrives, right? You just consumed a lot of calories, didn't didn't spend many calories, and didn't do a whole lot for your brain in terms of you know developing it to for survival purposes. So so I guess I, what I would say to finish this is that. Um, you know, the question might not be what is it, you know, how does physical activity benefit brain? Because I think that it's been benefiting brain for thousands of years. I think the mm-hmm. question might be is how is being physically inactive uh, um, hindering brain performance? Because that that's a much more uh, recent, you know, issue that, that humans have faced. So would, would you think that being inactive is kind of a wrong situation for a brain to be that we are just, we just shouldn't be, it's kind of a wrong, wrong situation in overall? Yeah, I think there's no doubt, right? I mean, we know that being sedentary and inactive is related to all kinds of physical disorders from, you know, obesity to high blood pressure, uh, you know, metabolic syndrome, you know, more broadly. Uh, We know that there's a, there's relationships with, you know, certain cancers and, and whatnot. And so I think, you know, being physically inactive, it shouldn't shock anyone. There's probably repercussions for brain. For most sedentary behavior and physical activity researchers, Collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project, especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time, causes unnecessary stress and hassle, and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data, introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian SenseMotion is a cutting-edge, next-generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data, a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw 3-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is sens.fibian.com. Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. And you said that humans are kind of endurance animals, and some of the findings come from animal studies, different type of animals. How well the results are generalizable from between animal studies and human studies? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a debate. Uh, people probably question that. Um, I guess I would say that, you know, as a scientist and as, you know, a scientist studies humans, I, I very much, you know, appreciate the animal literature. I read the animal literature because it directs me in my own thinking, um, you know, and, and I, I can't cite any work where I think, you know, rodents and humans have 
you know, the effects of an opposite, right? I mean, if you want to largely, if you just want to sort of gloss over the entire literature, working with both species demonstrate that being more physically active is better for brain, right? At the cellular and molecular level, at, you know, the structure and function level, you know, at the behavioral level, you know, consuming too many calories is bad for brain at multiple levels as well. And, you know, or being too sedentary or, you know, or, or really having excess adiposity, right? And so I, I think that they inform each other. Uh, you know, I, I've had the pleasure of speaking to, to people who have animal science, you know, who are animal scientists, and, and they've always said that, you know, we love your work because it gives us the chance to uh, demonstrate what, you know, what these effects we see in, you know, in our rodent models, you know, may lead to in humans, right? Meaning the higher order cognitive mm -hmm. piece. And, and I would say the same. I love their work because it allows me to understand cellular molecular, uh, you know, things that we can't understand in humans. I mean, you know, we, we can't crack the brain at the end of the participants time with us and take samples, right? So I think they're just different levels of, uh, of investigation. Yeah. And if, if I continue that with humans are kind of endurance animals, the persistence hunting have been important. Do you think that cardiovascular exercise plays a more important role in brain development, cognition than, than other types of activity, for example, strength training or, or skill training or something? Well, you know, uh, this is hotly debated in the, in the field. And, and what I would tell you is, is that we have more evidence for cardiovascular or aerobic exercise. Having more evidence doesn't mean that it's better. It means that we have more evidence. We can make more definitive statements about it. There is excellent strength work. Uh, you know, in older adults by, uh, you know, a group at UBC led by uh, Teresa Lou Ambrose and her data are very convincing. You, you know, give a strength, uh, you give a strength intervention to older adults. They perform better. There's differences in brain structure, you know, or brain function. I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head, mm. uh, you know, or maybe both. Uh, but, you know, she demonstrates effects on executive functioning. Uh, there is work in kids that suggests that, you know, motor learning and motor coordination also have relationships with cognition and academic performance. So, you know, I'm never going to say one is better. I'm going to say there's a lot of ways to get there. Trying to understand the nuances between them, I think, is probably the important first step. And then we maybe can, you know, formulate recommendations about, you know, what type of exercise might be best. But I think mm -hmm. the evidence at this point suggests, and there's varying levels of evidence, the evidence at this point suggests that, the, that there's a lot of ways to get there. Yeah, I, I had a reco recording yesterday with Dr. Kirk Erickson. He sent you <laughs> greetings. And with him, we discussed more about older people. And you have done studies with younger people, children. How would you say that the difference between children and adults, for example? Yeah, so let, let me first say that, you know, Kirk and I are very close colleagues and we work on each other's, you know, projects, we're on each other's grants and papers and whatnot. So, you know, we both take a lifespan perspective. I think our own work sort of focuses us in one direction of the lifespan. There are not a lot of differences between older adults and kids in terms of what we find. The older adult literature is is a better literature at the moment because there's just more science there. It's been going on longer. And so we often will look at the older adult literature to inform our kid literature. I don't mean to say that kids are just are just little adults because they're not right. I mean, there, there are strong differences in terms of the development of the brain and the decay of the brain and or I should maybe say more politically correct, the aging of the brain. But having said that, there's things we don't know in kids. Right. I mean, we don't know if there's, you know, about 
different points of intervention. So if we intervene during a critical window, right, during a sensitive period of brain development, maybe we, you know, that intervention will be more effective, right, more efficacious. And it's probably the same. I mean, in fact, I know it's the same in older adults in the sense that, you know, older adults who have, you know, abnormal brain aging, meaning like dementia, you know, if you catch them earlier, you're more likely to be more efficacious in your intervention than catching them later when there's more decay. So uh, I think in that regard, uh, there are similarities. The differences are very clear as well, though. I mean, in the sense that, you know, both show, you know, both demonstrate the strongest effects for executive functioning. But in kids, you really can't, you know, you, you can't intervene on a and, and demonstrate an effect on, on executive functions that haven't yet developed, right? Mm-hmm. The brain isn't there yet. So maybe you're, you're capturing earlier aspects of, of uh, cognition that may relate to it one day, but you kind of have to wait to catch up. And, and it's, in some regards, it's harder to assess kids. There aren't as many assessments out there in terms of executive functioning, or they have to be they have to be manipulated so they're a little bit more simplistic, if possible, uh, at the younger ages. Certainly, as they get older, it gets easier, right? And how would you think, like, if we think babies, toddlers, basically any stimulus is good for their brain? They they need all kind of stimulus to develop skills, develop vision, develop everything. Uh, how uh, do, do you see that physical activity somehow in a specific role? Yeah, I really do. Um, you know, I, I think what's, I think what we forget is what is the learning environment or the learning experience like for a child? Well, if you go to any park and watch kids play outside, the one thing you recognize is that they're moving, they're fidgeting, they're swinging their feet, they're swinging their arms. And so if you consider that, that their natural state is this one of moving around a lot, I think what we're capturing there is the idea that is that they're embodying uh, movement or they're embodying learning, and, you know, through movement. And what's really interesting to me is that when the kid turns five years old-ish, they're put in a classroom and they're told to sit still, no fidgeting, don't, you know, stay in your seat, don't chew gum, right? So all the things that that appear to be natural to a child when they when they're trying to learn something are now removed from them. And so learning might be harder. The environment's more difficult. And I think that, you know, there's been some innovative places around the country, around the world where, um, you know, the classrooms develop differently. You know, movement becomes part of learning. So it's that embodied cognition piece. And so I think, you know, I I think that we're starting to understand this a bit better, but we're not seeing a whole lot of implementation, certainly not in the U.S. Um, uh, You know, I I have colleagues in Denmark who, you know, have shown me, you know, what what classroom furniture looks like for kids and it embraces some of the fidgeting and moving, you know. Talk, you know, and their focus on um, daily physical education and things like that. I mean, I think that movement's much more inherent in the learning process in kids, in, in maybe in Denmark, than it is elsewhere. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes. So be sure to tune in. 
Thank you all for your support and have a great day.